This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on the woman behind the business, using STEM to impact the future. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today we have two gifted guests. One uses her superpowers to introduce science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics to children, while the other uses her gift to make financial and relationship predictions for clients. Jasmine Bird is the woman behind Washington, D.C.'s first STEAM party venue to allow children from ages 2 to 10 the freedom to explore and create products with their creativity and imagination. Her company is the Steaming Engineers Makerspace, which was designed for young engineers to investigate, discover, and record their experiences. Prior to launching her business, she spent nearly a decade working with children in the classroom. And today, she also serves as an education research assistant at the American University. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right, now, Jasmine, I first want to say congratulations on launching the Steaming Engineers Market Space. What was the genesis behind this awesome idea? Honestly, I have two young girls and I was just so interested in uh, creating a space where children can come and engage into parties and we're not all princess and princesses, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you know, the cartoon themes. Like, what if we had an actual venue where children can come and enjoy their space and explore and actually have meaningful party engagement opportunities? And so I've always been great at developing lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And um, I was actually out of work at the time. And um, I was thinking, well, what can I do that would actually benefit, you know, I would get to actually engage with children and give them that actual benefit of having fun at the birthday party while learning without even knowing that they're learning, right? Right. And so I created this uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math curriculum and program. And I decided when I created it then, I said, oh, I'm going to make a makerspace, Mm. you know, and everybody's like, what's a (laughs) makerspace? What do we do there? And I was like, yes, it's a makerspace. They're going to have cubicles. And with the cubicles, they're going to have workshop tables. And with the workshop tables, they get to just have fun and go through all the materials and explore. And they're like, you're just going to let them make a mess? Yes, make a mess. (laughs) So yes, that's how I came up with it. Now, how old are your daughters? My daughter, my youngest daughter is seven years old. And my oldest is 11. So I have a seven and 11 year old. Now I have a five and a six year old. Yes. And so I can recall, and they're they're boys, um, wanting them to have something a little bit more um, educational as a birthday party. So this, you know, and learning about what it is that you've created, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. And even like the curriculum based programming for kids, it starts typically around seven, eight. Exactly. In STEAM and STEM nothing really for the younger um, exactly. kids. Yeah. So how does it vary in the experience for the children, bet- bet- the difference between like a preschooler who's two and let's say the 10-year-old? So with a 10-year-old, you have 
them. They have more of a concrete understanding of the hypothesis, the scientific method, and the way that they will engage in the actual experiment versus a preschooler. This is all new. This is all introductory. Mm-hmm. So it's just giving those, giving them those basic knowledges and walking them through step by step with the scientific method and really just engaging them. And you meet them where they are. You know, a 10-year-old, they're already, they're coding, they're creating, uh, they're playing Roblox, they're creating Roblox games, they're doing Lego builds. You know, my kids do Roblox. Oh, all of them love Roblox. I'm like, really? This yes. is the most... I don't even understand it. I just yeah. look at it and they were like, mommy, look. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the what I tell my girls and what I really push for them to do. So my daughter's a entrepreneur in the Roblox okay. world. She builds houses for the other yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they pay her in the game. <laughs> but what I always tell them is make your own game. Yeah. Like if you can make a game, we can make some money. So right. um, it's really just about meeting them where they are. So with my preschoolers, you know, their actual, their core curriculum and the, the standards that they have is color mixing and identifying their primary and secondary colors and identifying their numbers from one to 10 or one to 20 and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And so I incorporate those fun steps. But while I incorporate those steps, I allow them to explore autonomy. Mm-hmm. So they have this independence where they can just have fun and and we're walking step by step and I'm guiding them through it. And we're talking about these colors and we're talking about this language, but it doesn't feel like they're sitting at a desk, you know, right. and I'm look at the table you know mm-hmm, look mm-hmm. at the number you see your number screen let me see you count it you know yeah so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more fun. interactive more yes. engaging and it's hands fun. on yes all right so when you went through your phase mm-hmm. of you were unemployed mm-hmm. and you were like okay I have this idea what was the process or how long did it take to go from idea to execution and then from execution to doors opening. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love this part of the journey because to me, what I'm doing, any educator out there could actually do. And so I believe that it's important to utilize the tools that we have created within this workspace. So like I said, I was I was working at a school system. I actually was on um, administrative leave, um, not due to anything I was say, inappropriate. Do, um, I actually was, that's a whole nother situation because <laughs> um, I'm still cleared to work with kids today. But long story short, I, I, I had this feeling like I have to, I want to continue to engage these children, but I do not want to be within the constraints of the school system. Mm-hmm. Um and as you stated earlier, I am an educational researcher, so I just think outside of the box. So when it came from the idea to creating it, it was, well, I, I know about STEAM, and then I, I knew that STEM was alive here, and I knew that we're engaging kids at the age of seven years old. And so the idea behind it was, I can fill this gap because I am a preschool, pre-primary teacher, mm-hmm. and no one is actually engaging them in this. And I know that all of my lesson plans that I had introduced within a classroom, they were always outside of the box. My directors always loved them. Um, My teachers always loved them, my administrators. So I literally just sat down and looked at the framework for different various curriculums and 
developed each lesson plan by lesson plan and identifying which units I wanted to uh, create, looking at the core curriculum standards to figure out exactly how will I incorporate these standards into my actual lesson plans with the units in the curriculum. And then from there, I uh, wrote it. And my dad, who recently passed away in April, Mm -hmm. he told me to make sure I... um, copyright it and he said do it do it our way mm-hmm. and he said so just mail a copy to yourself mm-hmm. and um he when he recently passed it was actually when I have actually got my copyright registered and mm-hmm. I was like I did it the right way this time right <laughs> um but nevertheless I surveyed my neighborhood and my community I contacted the local directors I asked if it was possible for them to partner with me so I can do my pilot um I was lucky to get a paid pilot uh, mm-hmm. opportunity and from there I just continue to survey my community and pitch it to everyone who would listen and, you know, get the job. So whoever wanted to get the contracts and from getting the contracts, investing the money and putting it back into the system and mm-hmm. the business. And from there, surveying the community again to find now, the perfect spot. When you say surveying the community, what did that look like? What did that look like? That looked like identifying my market for the individuals that I actually wanted to engage, um, identifying uh where those families were, where those families' kids go to school at. Um, is this something that the schools are actually interested in? Are you, you know, to identify that? That's what I mean by identifying my market, like actually identifying. I'm creating this tool, but is this tool actually going to be successful Viable. to mm-hmm. the individuals that I want to serve? Now, to most people who I always say, you know, if God gives you a vision, he'll also make the provisions possible for yes. you. So, but sometimes people feel intimidated because they'll say, you know, yep, mm-hmm, got this idea, but I don't have an MBA. I did not go to school for business. So this is going to sit right here. So what was that like for you? Um, my dad was a serial entrepreneur and I've always had the grind and the hustle. And I actually, you know, thank God today for even bringing these men into my life that helped me identify that anything was possible. Um, And so an MBA is needed to run a successful business. Um, You don't need a degree to define you, to to say where your projections are and where you can go. It's all about your drive, your ambition, and your passion, and actually putting those together to fabricate the skills and the talents that you already have to be successful. We're speaking with Jasmine Bird, (laughs) founder and creator of the Steaming Engineers Market Space, Makerspace based in Washington, D.C. Now, to continue with what we were just saying, so what would you say are the three essential elements that someone should have, even if you don't need an MBA, even if you don't have to have that degree behind your name um, in business? What are three things that you do need to make sure that you have? You have to be committed. Um, You have to have the drive. You have to have the drive to crash, to get back up. Go to therapy and get back to it, right? <laughs> um, and you have to just identify your passion. Whatever that passion is, there is a market base for it. And it's all about surveying that market to see where exactly it fits or identifying the gaps so you can create your own lane. Love it. Love it. Now, what would you say is the difference about the experience that you've created um, with your business versus other um, entities that currently exist? I would say the difference is actual just personal relationship. Um, I build relationship with these children very early. And so what tends to happen is they get older and they face out of my program. Mm-hmm. 
and they're like, Miss Bird, can we get the program? And so um, I'm like, no, but I'll figure out some type of way to actually partner with the school to give them some type of engagement. Um, but we really base it just on personal connection and thinking outside of the box and just having that hands-on engagement and allowing that autonomy. Mm-hmm. You know, with other programs, there is a strict outline as to how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if it gets, if it's not the finished product that they were identifying or wanted to get to, then it may not, you know, it's not a a wrong type of situation. You're not penalized. I don't want to say penalized. That sounds so wrong. But you're not you know, looked upon. It's like, hey, well, let's go back to this step and let's identify. Let's take the time. I always, we always take the time, the extra time to go back and to fix it. So Mm -hmm. there isn't like, yeah, there's a set time or there's a set way to do things, but we don't mind staying beyond that period to make sure things are done. So it's customer satisfaction. Yeah. It's really the learning behind the experience and not just saying, oh, your business. Yeah. So it's time to go. Right. <laughs> I love it. All right. Now, you once said that conducting education research is my method of turning my advocacy into resourceful action to bridge the education gap and, in- and increase equity. Why is this important to you? Because when I was a teacher and working within the private sector and then the public charter sector and then the public sector, um, there is such a large variance that there is not re- there's no equity mm-hmm. in education um and so with there not being with the lack of equity it's like uh, somebody has to try to bridge the gap and somebody has to increase the access and so with my research that I do do I just kind of the center that I work with, we're very committed into the underserved population. And um, we create various programs and things of that nature as to to bridge that gap and to create true equity. Um, mm-hmm. Some some systems illuminate equity, but equity isn't there. And equity is what's important so that each child has equal opportunity to succeed. Um, so I think that's why equity is truly important to me. It's just increasing access and making sure that access is there, removing those barriers. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. Now, what would you say was your passion for entering into the education space? I was a trouble kid. Okay. Yeah, I was a trouble kid. And so with me being a trouble kid, um, I realized I was always into crafts and DIYs and things of that nature. And I noticed looking back on my own educational journey that I had certain teachers that I, I, you know, gravitated gravitated towards. And then, you know, with other teachers, they would look at this stereotype or this theme and they would be like, oh, well, we know who you are, you know, and it's like, um, no, you, you don't know me, but I guess you heard something, right? And so uh, with me, it was important, especially with working within those sectors and seeing the difference with the access. I gave every student an opportunity. Um, I was committed to every student. I made it my business to have a personal relationship with the students, even the students that weren't even in my class, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, in the fact that you were a, tro- a troubled student, mm-hmm. what transformed you? Because you've gone on to have a bachelor's, a master's, what was it? What was that pivotal moment in your life that said, I need to make a change? I had kids. Okay. My girls, 
you know, um, it's just the the need to actually get in things in the gear and be successful. Um, I'm interested and fully committed to creating generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So um, my children is what helped me. Um, I had to graduate, you know, so <laughs> I had expectations I had to live up to, I mm-hmm. guess, so to speak. But it could have stopped with getting your bachelor's. You mm-hmm. went on to get your master's, so. Yeah, but that was And then just, you went on to start a business. Yeah, and that's was just like the whole education sphere and that need and the need of education to be improved, you know, the need to bridge those gaps, the need to create access, the need to eliminate the bias, the cultural bias that the society that which we thrive in, you know, and it's when you're it's one thing when you're living it as this troubled kid. And then when you grow up mm-hmm. and then you see it for what it is. And you're in it, and it's just like, oh, no, we have to do something about this. We got to do better. We got to do better, people. And so, yeah, education research. (laughs) That's how it happened. Now, what was your greatest fear in launching such an endeavor? My greatest fear, honestly, was just making sure that I dotted all my I's and crossed my T's. You know, those very small details, um, being able to execute with the standard that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. I really don't like to do anything halfway. I really am fully committed into creating this safe space um, Mm -hmm. that nurtures every child. So to me, my most fearful and nervous thing was I want to create, I I am this entity, right? But I want this, I want me to illuminate this culture within the organization. And it's like, how do how do I create and make sure that this culture sustains? Mm. Um, and so it was just creating the culture of the actual program and the makerspace and hiring the right people to make sure that they are also committed to all children and that they value education and they value that access and empowering these children just as much as I do. Now, one of the things that I think is very different um, when you start a business is if you are a service provider and it's something that you can do chilling on your couch versus actually having a brick and mortar. Yeah. What would you say was that one thing that you really had to be mindful of when it came to looking for a space and really building a foundational location for your business as well as what is this like going to look like? What is this brand going to represent? Exactly. And that's that, that goes back to that culture piece and the surveying. When I identified my market, it took me a really long time to get where I wanted to be. Petworth and Ward 4, Washington, D.C. That is actually the community I serve. I serve over a hundred kids within a block away from my store, mm. literally. Mm. Um, the kids are across the street in the store in a public charter school that I serve. So, And the other school that I partner with to do out-of-school time uh, programming, they are within a mile radius. Mm. And so it took a lot of surveying um, and just constantly calling and constantly being let down and just continuously trying and being committed to actually being, no, this is the area that I want to be in. This is the er- this is where it has to be um, because this is where it all started. Now, how long did it take you to find your, your land or area of space? Oh, my goodness. It took... About four years, three, four years. So how long has this process been from idea to doors opening? Idea to doors opening, it's been about seven years. 
Now, I, I can imagine in seven years' time, you have, now, I'm imagining, mm-hmm. I might be wrong, um, imagining that there are times that you wanted to give up. There were times that you were just like, okay, Lord, what are you doing to me and why? What kept you motivated? My babies, my girls, um, the whole reason why I got started, uh, I knew that, you know, my I come from a government family. Mm-hmm. So being an entrepreneur is nothing like being in the government, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And um, so my grandmother would say, why don't you get a job? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't see me working? I'm working, you know? And she's like, no, you need to get a job. No, the, that stuff up there, that that's making me money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like I constantly had seen like backlash or had that conversation. It's like, yeah, we don't know what she's doing. You know, I was like the Tommy of the family. But your dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah, my dad was, and he was a serial entrepreneur. He he was the only thing that had faith and he had no idea really what I was doing, honestly. Mm-hmm. But he knew he was that- like, go with it. Yeah, he's like- you know, he would talk to people and he would pitch my business and they would come to me and I'm like, no, that's, that's, not, not, that's not really <laughs> it. But I'm glad he introduced us to one another. But technically, um, nobody really understood what I did or, or where I was going with this. And um, I knew where I was going and I knew that this was something and I knew that it was meaningful and I knew that it would enrich so many other people and that it was great and it would benefit the community. And I really felt like that I was fulfilling God's purpose for my life. And so I just continuously pushed. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you push and you're pushing through to your doors opening. Yes. So congratulations on that. Um, now you're going to stick with us. We're okay. going to get ready to introduce our next guest. Um, but this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your business tips with us um, and for introducing us to the Steaming Engineers Makerspace. Up next, we'll introduce you to the woman behind interpreting your palms. Stay with us. Yes. Are you tired of dragging yourself into the office while your business ideas are being left at home? It might be time to turn your side hustle into your main hustle. Join me as I take you on a journey of transitioning into a full-time entrepreneur and my book, Side Hustle to Main Hustle, The Woman's Guide to Transitioning into Full-Time Entrepreneurship. I'll walk you through my five-step system to give you the confidence, business structure, accountability, support, and transparency you need to transition effectively and successfully. To grab your free downloadable copy of the book, text DREAM to 31996. That's DREAM to 31996. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business Talk Show. I am your host, Angel Livis, and we just wrapped up a conversation with Jasmine Bird about her company, Steaming Engineers Makerspace. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Now, when we kick off, when we kicked off the show, I told you the theme was using steam to impact the future. Well, our next guest hails from Atlanta, Georgia, and she uses her innate gifts and maybe a little steam to make predictions around relationships and financial questions. She goes by the name of Lady X. However, I know her as Xavia Turner. Welcome to the show, lady. Hi. Good to be here. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to have you. So I first have to applaud you because you are our very first person that focuses on this area of like palm reading and predictions and prophecy and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm super excited to have you. And I just have to get full disclosure of how me and Xavier met. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> so one day, Xavier and I, we were traveling, I think, to D.C. Yeah. Um, we're traveling to D.C. Um, we saw each other, like, in the airport terminal. And the people were giving me a hard time. But it was, like, in laughter. Like, we're having a good time. And Xavier's like, yo, you want to get in front of me? I'm like, okay. No, it's okay. Or I don't remember how that part went. Anyways, we get on the plane. Lo and behold, we're sitting next to each other. So it kind of sparked conversation. She's just like, yo, I just like your energy. Like, you're so, like, friendly and da 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 And I'm like, okay. So we ended up talking the entire flight. Um, and during the conversation, I learned that she has this amazing gift of reading poems. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, next time you go to D.C., you have to come on my show. I think this is the coolest thing ever. So I'm excited to have you in studio um, and even more excited to share your talents with the rest of the world. Oh, thank you for having me. This is my first time <laughs> in a studio like this. So <laughs> this is all new to me. It's OK. We're going to have fun. I promise. OK, so. Aside from being a palm reader, um, Lady X is so multi-talented. You've worked in government for over 15 years, and your trade by day is an auditor, but your secret talent is the ability to read palms. How did you discover this talent? Oh, wow. Well, I actually discovered the talent, I would say, almost 10 years ago now. Hmm. I Well, so just to kind of back everything up, I actually am into astrology. So okay. prior to, like, reading palms, I was into, like, reading charts, pulling charts, um, doing astrology charts and things like that. And someone referred me to a palm reader. Actually, when I went to the palm reader, she told me that I had a psychic star in my hand and I had a gift and she wanted to work with me and train me because at the time she knew she would retire and she needed somebody to send her clients to. And initially I was not taking this on. So it was not (laughs) anything that I'm like going for because I'm pretty, you know, I have a linear mind. I was all into school, having a job, working for the government. I never saw myself doing this. When I say never, I mean never. So how did you receive it when she said it? I didn't receive it at all. Actually, I resisted it. I thought she was just, you know. Being a little weird. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I don't know. But I I was referred to her from a friend. So I, I somewhat trusted her, but not so much. So initially when she said it, I resisted it. Then when I told my friend about it. She's like, well, just go ahead and just, just work with her and see what happens. So I decided to go ahead and work with her. It took me forever to like really take this on. Like I was seeing Rose. Her name is Rose, by the way. I was seeing Rose for several years without reading anybody's palm, without doing anything. And then when I took it seriously because she wanted me to sit with her with her clients. Mm-hmm. So then she would start introducing me to her clients. Like this is the lady that I want to actually send my business to when I retire. Oh, um, so you had to pay attention because now money's on the line. Yeah. And you know what? So yes. <laughs> and then I'm seeing people and people were like, and so also, too, some of the things that she predicted for me actually came to pass. Mm. So it made me have a little faith in what she was telling me about myself. Mm. And that's what got me excited. I actually um, didn't start taking on her clients officially till she retired in 2018. Okay. So I had about eight years of like learning from her, working with her clients, just doing it all with no money involved at all. It's just something I actually enjoyed doing. I actually took it on a lot more, had a lot more faith in myself, which in turn allowed me to connect with other people. And then I would start doing it for my friends and people would text me and call me and say things that I predicted can't actually happen. Something that they actually said, I never even thought this was going to happen. Like I would find, I would see things that people had no clue that was in their, you know, in their future or that was a possibility. So when you say you would see things, because I just think this is so funny because like, okay, I'm looking at my hand, y'all. I see what looks almost like an M and that's about it. Yeah. That's all I see. I see some lines. How were you able, like, was it 
kind of more of an innate gift that Rose pulled out all of your um, additional talents? Or was it anybody can just learn how to read palms? Well, I think it's a combination of both. So okay. first of all, it was a talk. So some of it was taught. So I learned what the heart line was like, the lifeline. Okay, wait, you got to slow down. You got to teach us. Oh, we okay. all looking. Okay, so what's so the heart line? The chosen one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first things first, your dominant hand predicts your, tells your future. And then your non-dominant hand um, explains your past. Oh, hmm. okay. And so I primarily focus on the because most people care about what's going to actually happen versus they've already kind of experienced their past. Mm-hmm. And then once you look at the dominant hand, everybody does prime. Like you said, they have that M. But throughout that M, there's three lines that are like the primary lines that we look into. So the that all kind of run kind of parallel. Yes. OK. Mm-hmm. The top M line. I'm just, can I see your hand? Oh, just to okay. kind of even... Sure. I wanted a free reading. <laughs> I was just sitting here like, can I, can I hold it? Can I pass it in my hand? Okay, so this line, okay, I don't know if they can see this. It's okay. Okay, we, we. but the top line is your heart line. Okay. And that talks about your relationships. Um, are you married now? Oh, is that there? No, well, I'm not. Well, somebody you're seeing, because there's, this is your heart line. There's okay. a line right here. So you're either seeing somebody, your heart belongs to somebody. Oh, but sweet. um. You definitely have a permanent. So also, too, there's different lines that I was taught, but then there's also energy that I pick up on. So it's like a combination of what I can do that I could kind of help you see your possibilities in your lifetime. Yeah, this is, this is great. Okay. No disclosure. Let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, okay, so right here by your pinky finger, uh-huh. that line shows committed partnership. Uh-huh. So you have one more committed partnership in your um, lifetime, and then later in life, you may have a companionship. Okay. And like I said, until this right, so then there's another line called the money line. So the main line. Wait a second. Okay. Where that money line at? That's okay. what we want to know. Yes. So <laughs> the money line is actually right under your pinky finger. It's and yours seems pretty strong, by the way. It's mm, oh, wonderful. And you also have, of course, you have new ideas on how to make money. So it's like there's uh-huh. a star next to your money line, meaning that the money, some type of money, is going to come to you within like the next six months oh, of wow. an idea. Awesome. So this is your money line. Wait, we That's can't Camille. see this money line. You got to describe what this money okay, line is for the rest of us on air. Yeah, it's right under your palm. I mean, right under it's your parallel, pinky face. Yeah. Said, right? So yes. parallel. I see it's vertical. It's vertical. Oh, it's vertical. Girl, you yeah. pointed to the wrong thing. Yeah, let's show. You show hold them. your hand up. <laughs> okay. And tell us. I don't know. We got to be able to describe it to our radio audience. Okay, so... This right here, this line here is your heart line. Okay. And so the, when, okay, so the when the she top. says the so that very top line on your whatever your dominant hand is, that very top line that would almost make up that M, that mm-hmm. is your heart line. Okay, continue. Then right down here, the the line below it is your lifeline. Okay. So the line directly that would kind of make that cross for an M, that is your lifeline. And then the b- final bottom line that kind of goes through your wrist, your uh-huh. wrist here, uh-huh. this is your headline. It shows how you think, the things that you're dealing with, your learning, things like that. Okay, so that last part of the M, that's your headline. So if you got a short headline, I mean, you stubborn? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's a combination of things, but it kind of, and some people do get in the point of their life they're not learning as much. Okay. They might not want to learn. Okay. And we all get stopped. But the main line here is the money, like I was saying, the money line it kind of goes right here towards your smaller finger. And if everybody Okay, see. so your money line is that line that is by your um 
it, it, it it's underneath your pinky. Yeah. And it kind of comes straight down. The furthest line from your thumb. The furthest line from your thumb. Mm-hmm. I don't see no money line on my hand. I don't you know do. what this supposed to mean. I have to look mean. at it. But I'm sure that Butter, you do. Uh, I'm sure that you do. And then also, too, right under your pinky, these are like relationship and companionship lines. So like those horizontal lines that are in actually like the palm of your hand under your pinky, mm-hmm. those are your relationship lines, correct? Exactly. Okay. So the and, the little short little lines. Yes. And then you can also kind of uh, predict the length of your life, like long, medium, or very long. Where do we look to predict that? At, right at the wrist. Right so at it's the like wrist. those lines that are right under where you would wear a watch. Mm-hmm. We can look at those lines to see if you're going to have like a long life or a short life. And what determines that? Like if it's short or if it goes around? How many many lines you have? Everything is by the lines. And so some lines, and I I guess I've been looking at them for so long that I probably can see lines that most people can't. So for example, I've seen mine for a while. So for example, this lady here. This is Jasmine. Jasmine. She's looking at her hand now. Um, I'm looking at your wrist. So for example, I don't know if anybody can see this, but... You have this line here. So bare minimum, you're going to live to 50. When you have like a thick line here mm-hmm. that starts you off to 50. Mm-hmm. Then okay, you I'm going to make like it to 50, y'all. Light lines here. Mm-hmm. So this is a line that's about 20 years. Is that a decade each? Or how does that Well, work? it depends on how it looks, how thick it is. But this oh. right here, it looks like it's about 20. So when oh. she says well, this so right here, it's all of the little lines under your wrist. So that, that don't one thick line, like right at your wrist, and if you, you have a these. thick defined one there, that means you're going to live to at least 50. And then all of the smaller lines directly underneath there, it adds you got to ask her. You got to see her. Yeah. Send, send her a picture of your hand yes, and, and she'll, she'll do your reading. Yeah. Your. And so along with reading palms, I actually use my gifts of being intuitive. Um, and I also have tarot cards. I didn't bring them today. I, I, I know. And you were supposed to bring them. We had this conversation. So anyways, but question, how did you know that you were more intuitive than others? Okay. So one thing I can say is that there are things that I hear, feel and see. And I, get, I used to get so frustrated when people around me didn't see it or mm-hmm. didn't feel it. And then after having more conversations with Rose, I got that it was a gift with, from within. And I am generally the go-to person in my family and friends. Mm-hmm. I'm the responsible one. I'm the one that people rely on. Like my words mean a lot to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And as I got, I guess, more comfortable with this and I spoke to Rose a lot more, I realized that I had that gift. And then... Just confirming it with the people that I've read for, the people that I talk to, and how everything that I say actually happens. I even shock myself sometimes. I really do. So on the plane, this was like funny. Uh, you told me that I have a star. Uh-huh. Or, was it a psychic star? Did I tell you that? I don't know. Hold on, y'all. We about to have her look at my hand for two seconds. No. <laughs> just, Let me just, just two seconds, up. y'all. Two seconds. And I did. And I, yeah. So, okay. Hand, okay. That's fine. But I can see that star here. You have two stars. So, yeah, you do have a psychic star. So there's like you have really strong intuition. A lot of things that you say, people really rely on your word. Um, and, you, and you just have a very strong intuition. I even felt it when I talked to you on the airplane. Like I said, I'm, I'm generally an introvert. Yeah, she was like, I don't normally talk to people, but for some reason, I'm I sitting know. here talking to you. <laughs> and it was so funny because something made me say, why don't you, co-? I don't let people break in line. I mean, everybody has somewhere to go. I'm trying to get on the plane too. So that's not my regular way of being. So I don't think that I'm just so generous that I just wanted to let this random person cut me in line when I'm trying to board the plane too and get to where I got to get to. 
<laughs> but yeah, something made me just want to let you like go ahead and get a line, no problem. Not thinking I would see her again <laughs> and, and like, sit right beside yes. me. Yes, and then we just started talking. Like we felt comfortable enough to start talking about birthdays and what I was into, what she was into. So that was really interesting for me. But yeah, so, um, and actually it's been confirmed now. I can really tell like the more I accept it and the more I connect to it, the more I'm able to connect with other people and really just kind of give people the possibilities of their life. So what would you tell somebody? Because I I feel like a lot of people kind of run from their gifts, Mm -hmm. um, especially when they're intuitive gifts. Um, Speaking from experience, how or what would you recommend to people to help them tap into their intuitive gifts and really embrace it? Because like you said, once you embrace it, it seems like it gets stronger and you become a lot more um, discerning. Okay. And and I got that. So the first thing I would say is that the first thing, just so you know, I want everybody to know that I believe in God and I'm a Christian woman and I got baptized last year. So I think the first step is to not tie this in with being against God. Right. I, I think a lot, especially in our community, uh, we put God first, which is great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people think that my word or other types of words can supersede God's word and nothing mm-hmm. can supersede his word. So I think once you pray about it with yourself, get comfortable and get flat with God on it, you won't feel as if, it's something that you're trying to push on others to say that you're better than God or that what you're saying is different than what their belief system is mm-hmm. just to kind of like not put the two together. So once you get flat on your faith with God and then also to pray to God to show you what you need to hear mm-hmm. and what you need to see. And then once you get flat with that and you feel comfortable with yourself, you embrace it kind of create a community of people. Like it took somebody else to tell me what they saw in me. Mm-hmm. I think anybody, no matter what kind of business, you should be around people that see things in you that you don't mm-hmm. see in yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's getting flat with your faith, getting in a good community of people to where you can actually learn and actually expand on your gift and then get around people to where now you don't feel so odd and different. I also, I, it took me to do that too. I do um, psychic fairs in Atlanta too and I meet other um, individuals that do their, have their own special gift. So now I don't feel like I'm awkward or weird. It's like pe- being around people that are similar to yourself or similar to myself. And that actually was a great uh, tie-in to my next question, which was, do you see your gift of being able to read people's palms as a form of prophecy? Um, sometimes there's people I really have strong connection with. I'm not going to say I have it for everybody, but there are some people that I connect to very strong. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that I believe that put me on this earth to actually speak to them. Mm. And so, yes, I do. I do. And I'm grateful. And I don't take it for granted. And it scares me sometimes. That's all I can say. (laughs) So I'm I'm still a work in progress with that myself. No, this has been so much fun. Did you have a question for her since she was looking at your hand, Jasmine? You're amazing. Jasmine's sitting here just shaking her head, I, y'all. I know, because I'm into astrology and energies and stuff. I was like, oh, this is how we how we all came here tonight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I well, love I, it. Yeah, I'm so glad to meet you, Jasmine. I'm excited about your life because you have a lot going on. And you definitely have some extra money coming. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> you have I'm serious, you have <laughs> ideas where money it's not gonna just magically happen, but you yeah, are you have to fruit take y'all they over here talking money. Yeah, I so. love it. <laughs> This was amazing. All right. So I'm going to let y'all continue to talk about money, but we have come to the point in the show where we are going to move into our moments from the Valley. And this is where you will share a Valley moment that you did not know how you were going to make it out of a particular situation. So I would like you to share what that situation was and what was waiting for you on the other side. And while you all think 
and continue to do what y'all doing, we're going to listen to A Little Mood by Hajar. Stay with us. with you jasmine i think my valley moment was when everything was hitting the fan and when my dad was on life support and i was in the master's program doing my moot court in the hospital i was working the job as a research in, uh, research assistant at and um i had schoolwork, I had the kids, um, and he was just this pivotal moment. And at that time, not not too short after all of this had happened, um, my boss actually looked at me and she was like, you know, I think you should stop working your business. I think your focus is off and you should stop working your business. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop. And then after that, After that, I um, put my two weeks in, right? After, you know, some time had went by, I put my two weeks in and I went back in and I went harder and deeper with my business and I'm having my launch. And 
my job is still there. I'm back at the job. I'm still working the job. Yeah, I was rehired, you know, so uh, that was it. It was at that point where I had the opportunity to, I could have simply divested in myself and and let what I was serving, the purpose I was serving go to fulfill this position to do this work. But I feel like this work is the work I'm called to do. So that's why everything just kind of aligned and came back together the way it's supposed to. So that was my valley moment. It was rough, you know, but I made it out. What did you rely on to help you make it through? (sighs) In making that decision. In making that decision, um, bridging those contracts, you know, um, bridging those contracts and actually keeping to myself, right? Um, I had this open dialogue type of relationship and I'm transparent and what do you want to know about the book? No. Clearly you learned too much about the book, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you're trying to write it, but you can't write what he wrote. Mm -hmm. So therefore, kept to myself and just kept quiet and, and kept moving. And just sometimes it's about keeping quiet and remaining humble and not just talking too much because sometimes you can talk too much and when you talk too much you give people people assume that they have the authority to dictate Mm. in which way you can go and that's not reality speak that's truth love it thank you so much for sharing Mm -hmm. all right miss x Okay. Um, So my valley moment, I would say I had a lot of them, but the most that I want to share today is um, one that happened in 2018, a couple of years ago. Um, I guess I have a long history of working with the government. So pretty much my bread and butter and how I'm used to the stability and the guaranteed payments and keeping a job. I know we talked about that earlier, but I actually um, ended up resigning in 2018. Um, I actually got back into the government later that year, but I, I resigned with no job. And that's actually what allowed me to like build up my time in my study in Palm and actually starting to get paid for that. But um, just being able to walk away from something that wasn't working and not knowing um, what was on the other side. And I I prayed about it before I did it because I took some time off of work. And if things didn't change, I knew I had to leave. And so I left really out on faith, just making extra money. Later on, I picked up doing insurance audits. And then I got back in the government again. But just not relying on a job or relying on what my story Mm -hmm. should be, not being able to stick with something that's not working and being strong enough to let it go when I had to. Mm. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful it all worked out. I had no clue what was going to happen. And I didn't really tell a lot of people. So whoever hears this may be like, what? She quit her job. What? Because <laughs> no, I'm known as like a government worker. Like people know yeah. me as that. So how did you make it through once you did it? Because mm-hmm. I know after the dust settles, you can kind of look back on and be like, oh yeah, it was hard, but I did, right? But there are moments when you were alone, mm-hmm. and I'm just guessing that you were like, "What did I just do? I and how is this going to get paid?" Or so, how did you make it through those moments? You know, at those times, I was so busy trying to make it that I didn't think too much about it. Like I, I started planning ahead. So one thing I did do before I resigned, I took like two months of like leave without like paid leave. Mm-hmm. So I was saving my money that way. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a total shock. It was like worst case scenario. If things don't happen by this date, I have to quit. So that date actually came, and I think I actually I got closer 
to people around me. So I actually started to share with some people what I was dealing with. So they, I was in my community of people helped me. They're the ones that referred me to different jobs. They're the ones that told me what steps to take and what actions to take to make sure that I protect myself. So just uh, getting closer to God and actually finding, I guess, a good group of people that I could trust that could help me through it. I love it. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, ladies, for both sharing your testimonies. I'm sure that it will minister to the hearts of our listeners and our viewers. Um, So before we go, would you like to share some social media information so people can get in contact with you? Sure. My uh, the steaming engineers um, hashtag is DC Kids Steam and the actual Instagram page is at DMV Party Time. Awesome. And um, I do have a Instagram page. It's I am lady underscore X. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, for being our guest. I greatly appreciated having you. Thank you so much. Thank Yay. you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was, it was fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And thank you at home for tuning in. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, WBBTalk.com. And now you can start registering for the Woman Behind the Business Retreat titled Vision 2020, using scriptures to propel you to new dimensions. It's all happening on the beautiful island of Nassau, Bahamas, February 20th through 24th, 2020 at Bahamar Resort and Convention Center. To register, visit wbbtalk.com backslash registration. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Kyle Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myra. Until next time, stay blessed.
What if you could turn on the radio in Washington, D.C. and be in the know, in the flow, and up to date on all that makes the district great? D.C. Radio 96.3 HD4. Get ready for D.C. Radio on 96.3 HD4, where the city comes alive. We'll be playing music featuring D.C. area artists, all the interviews with people who make a difference in the district, entertainment, news, local artists, your connection to everything Washington, D.C., from Washington, D.C. and for Washington, D.C. All the majesty, diversity, vibrancy, and culture of D.C. on the air 24-7, 365. Our people, from our monuments to our neighborhoods, all eight wards. We'll be highlighting what the mayor is doing and what's going on in city council. We'll be reaching out to seniors and the youth. That's what D.C. is all about. From D.C. From D.C. For D.C. For D.C. D.C. Radio 96.3 HD4, Washington. Now we need some time, time to get 